As we come now to the scripture, let me ask you please to, um, to pray with me. Uh, Father in heaven, we're blessed to have this word before us. And we're amazed. We're amazed that you have spoken to us like this, that we can just pick up this book and ask your spirit to lead us so that when we read these words, we're not hearing the words of people, we're hearing the words of a man, not the apostles, nor even the readers, but we're hearing the voice of God. And so I pray that it would come to us like that in all of its richness and fullness and wisdom and power and also in its grace to transform our lives, to make us people that other people notice belong to Jesus. So please be with us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn please to Ephesians in chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, please. I want to read, do I have marked here? I want to read, uh, beginning with verse 17, all the way to chapter 5, verse 2. But I'll tell you in advance, we're only going to talk about verse 25. Right? But you need to see that all in its context, okay? So Ephesians, in chapter 4, please, verse 17, this is the word of the Lord. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. Because of the ignorance that's in them, due to their hardness of heart, they've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, <clears throat> having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor for all members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. That no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for the building up as it fits uh, the occasion, that it may give great grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore... Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And together we say, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Now I want, as I mentioned a moment ago, if God will help me, simply to take up this verse 25, therefore... Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. This, this verse 25 begins a list of um, character traits or things that we're to do and other things that we're not to do. So it becomes very pointed <laughs> in how we're to live. You remember 
as Paul lays out this letter, the first three chapters lay out for us what Christ has done for us and in us. That is, he saved us, he's taken us from death to life. And then in chapters 4 through uh, the end, through chapter 6, uh, the apostle talks about the impact that that has on our lives. What Christ has done for us, we mustn't, as we say over and over again, we mustn't get these out of order. First, Christ works in us, and then we work that out, right? Now, that's what uh, the apostle writes to us in, in Philippians and uh, chapter 2. He says, um, uh, work out, verse, middle of verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So God works it in, and then by his grace and strength and power by his spirit, then it's worked out of us. We work that out. And so that's the arrangement here. And so we're in the midst of working it out, if you, <clears throat> if you, if you will. Um, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, no surprise here. You know, if you're reading the Bible and you're told not to lie, you go, mm, I expected that. Right? It's not, not, a, not a big surprise here. I mean, uh, we can run quickly just through a variety of passages. We can spend all day reading passages, I suppose. But you remember from the Ten Commandments, the ninth one, verse 16 of, of Exodus chapter uh, 20. Uh, the apostle writes, uh, you shall not bear false witness Against your neighbor. Now, it's a broad commandment about, about really not lying or bearing, not lying about your neighbor. You could apply it, obviously, in a court of law, but bearing false witness. But in any way, you shouldn't, shouldn't lie about your neighbor. And then in Leviticus in chapter 19, he kind of takes this and, and fleshes it out a bit for us. Verse 11. Um, God says to us, you shall not steal, you shall not deal falsely, you shall not lie to one another. All right? Uh, and so he's kind of reviewing these commandments, but he, he kind of simplifies this for us and he simply says, uh, you shouldn't lie to each other. We, we wouldn't be surprised at all to find, as we read through the book of Proverbs, this book of wisdom, that we find all kinds of admonitions about telling the truth and about lying. This one we know from Proverbs chapter 6. Uh, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, right? Um, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among his brothers. Um, it's all related in various ways, but he mentions lying a couple of times uh, in, these, in these verses. Um, and we end up with discord or disunity amongst uh, the brothers, amongst the church, as we would see it. And then uh, in Proverbs, in chapter 12, uh, we, we find this, verse 22. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. So again, we can see that, uh, no surprise, God says we shouldn't, we shouldn't lie. And then in chapter 19 of Proverbs in verse, in verse 9, we have it like this. A false witness will not go unpunished. He who breathes out lies will perish. Chapter 21 and verse 6, we have it, we have it like this. Uh, the getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. In other words, it really doesn't ultimately even profit you um, to gain riches by a lying tongue. There's no eternal value to that, Jewel. Lose all of that, all of that eventually. 
And uh, we can summarize this, at least the psalmist summarizes all of this uh, rather pointedly in Psalm 116, um, verse 11, with this expression, the psalmist, uh, seeing how people live, he says, uh, I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. You say, I'm not a liar. Uh, you just did. Uh, we haven't, I mean, we've all lied. We understand that. We, we get that. We look through history. We look the world in which we live. And we can see deception and lies in every sphere of life. You see it in education as students cheat, as researchers fabricate information that goes out. We see it. We know it happens. Um, we see it in government and politics. You can't go to your news feeds or turn on any sort of uh, news broadcast without someone accusing someone else of lying or someone else pointing out a lie or perhaps even someone just simply lying as we, as we hear in the political realm in which we live these days. Um, it happens in, obviously, the scientific community. It happens in business, um, whether it's through advertising or for taxes or, or however it is that spin is put on something in the context of, of business life. We uh, see it sadly in church life. Pastors have lied. I've been a part of discipline of pastors who have lied to their congregation or plagiarized sermons and so forth and so on. In other ways, um, we see it in um, family life. Husbands to wives, wives to husbands, parents to kids, kids to parents. We see it. In, we see it, right? You know this. You've been hurt in your own life by the deception of others. You've been affected by it. And you've hurt others. No doubt by your your own um, your own lying. Um, we, we lie to ourselves, right? Sometimes we lie to ourselves. Sometimes it's a coping mechanism. Uh, you know, I I, I I I tell myself it's going to be better than it is because I I can't even face the fact that it might not be good or it might be bad. Or I tell tell myself it's going to be worse than it is. Uh, because I'm so afraid of disappointment. Uh, so we, we lie to ourselves. I have this great lie. The older I get, I have this wonderful lie that I tell myself all the time. I said, oh, I don't need to write that down. Right? I know as I'm saying it's a lie, but I just, you know, I want to make you think I still can remember stuff. Uh, and and, and, and so, so we lie to ourselves all kinds of ways. We lie to ourselves by saying, oh, that wasn't really wrong. Right? We lie to ourselves, I really don't need any help with that. I can really do that. So I, I don't know the lies that you may, may, may tell yourselves. We, we lie to others um, about ourselves even, right? We very often try to make ourselves look better than we are. Um, um, we cheat at various things in order to make ourselves look better, if you will, than we are. We try to save face uh, with how we talk about our ourselves. We, we, we try to keep from punishment or guilt, and so we lie about ourselves. We become defensive, not defending of a position, but we become defensive in a position to put a spin on it uh, so that we look better maybe than, than we uh, really are in, in, in reality. Um, we lie to 
protect ourselves from guilt. We lie um, for personal gain, whether it's perhaps on our taxes or cheating on tests or um, to get a day off. We say we're sick when we're really not, perhaps. Um, We have often in the church what I refer to as spiritual projection, where we try to make it look like we're way more spiritual than we really are, that things are really better than they really are. And so we try to put that out there that people think that everything is really great about us spiritually and we're not really telling the truth about, about our own lives. We lie um, about others. Gossip and slander, right? Gossip and slander is saying things behind people's backs we would never say to their face, right? We lie by way of flattery, which is saying things to people's face that we'd never say behind their back. Um, we flatter them. We lie about. We lie about others. Uh, sometimes we lie about others to make ourselves look better. Sometimes we lie about our children, uh, and we we talk about our children as being better than they are. You know, it's, we call those Christmas letters, uh, and. And so, um, you know, everybody reads them and you go, that's not really true, right? You know, can't be that good. You give me one sentence about your life and I know other stuff's happening in the course of your life. So I'll take that and be happy for you. But, but we, we, you know, we want them to look good. So we look good. We lie about our spouses. We may perhaps make them look better than they are. So it makes us look good. So, so you know, we just, deception is, is interwoven da- dangerously in our lives. And sadly, we, <clears throat> we lie to God. Uh, I mentioned at our confession time, David uh, had sinned grievously in various kinds of ways. Every kind of sin, it seems imaginable, but he hid it, tried to from himself, and thus he tried to hide it, if you will, from from God. Remember Adam in the Garden of Eden? Uh, he sinned and he tried to hide from God. I don't want to. I don't want to admit this to God. I don't want to go to God. And when God finally came to him, then what did he do? He blamed the the woman that the Lord had given him, that God had given him, and said, "It's her fault." But really, it's your fault because you gave her to me. And so, so you can see just all this deception that that takes place. And and why we lie like this, I could say probably is complicated. I'm not a psychologist, but as a theologian, uh, we realize that we lie because of the pride that's in within us. It may generate insecurity or fear, but, but it's really the problem. We just want to be seen as better. We don't want people to really know our failures. And so we, we lie. Now, obviously, there's gray areas. And when we talk about truth telling, they talk about gray areas. Somebody comes up to you. People come up to you this morning and say, how are you? And you go, well, I'm okay. Was that true? Well, probably not exactly, but they really don't know, want, to, want to know how you are either. We understand what that expression means. It's just sort of saying, I see you there. You must be okay because you're there. And so how are you? And you're supposed to say, I'm fine. And I'll say to you, I'm fine. And if we want to dig deeper, we will. But that just means all things considered, I'm okay. Right? Uh, do we have to tell everything uh, about uh, to other people about ourselves and, and dump on them? Well, well, no, of course we don't. There's degrees of intimacy, and so we, you may not tell everything to everyone. That's not necessarily lying. It may just simply be prudence. You know the person to which you're talking. You know about the situation that you might be in. And, and so you, you may just sort of leave that out of the conversation. Deceptive? Well, not really in that sense. But, but, but you have to be careful if you're leaving stuff out of every conversation with everyone so that nobody really knows you and then you don't really have anyone with whom you're intimate, right? Who really knows you and you have to 
be cautious, really, um, about that as well. Um, do I need to tell everybody really what I'm thinking of them? Oh, I don't think so. Some of the things I think about you may be wrong. Some things some people may think about other people may be immoral thoughts, and you shouldn't tell them that, right? And so, no, you don't have to tell everybody what you think of them at any moment in time. In fact, we'll get uh, later, verse 29, uh, you might have noticed as we were reading through that Paul says, you know, when you speak to one another, give grace. Build each other up. And so there's a certain way in which we address each other. So we have to be cautious about that. But there may become times when we do have to say hard things to each other about what we're thinking about them, what we know about them, just to help them along their way. That's how the body of Christ works. That's how we grew up. We speak the truth. But we speak the truth in love. We don't speak the truth selfishly. We don't speak the truth to hurt. We don't speak the truth to get back at. We'll get to this in verse 29. But, but, but we speak the truth really in love. So if we're doing it that way, then perhaps it's good to tell people what's on your mind if it really is a loving response uh, to them. And then there's the hard questions about, well, do you tell the truth to your enemy? You know, you have the Rahab situation in the Old Testament, you might remember, or the midwives in, uh, of the Israelites uh, didn't exactly tell the truth uh, about the birth of these um, Israelite boys to the Pharaoh, because if they did, the boys would be killed. And, and well, if you find yourself in that kind of a situation, give me a call. We'll talk about it. All right. There's no need to talk about it uh, right now. But those are unique kinds of kinds of moments. Uh, if they plague you, uh, don't let them because it may never happen in your life. But uh, uh, think about it later. Um, so it's really understandable that we find, if we're having a list of things that we're not supposed to do and things we are supposed to do, that we would find in that list... Don't lie. Tell the truth. The question is, why does Paul start here? Why does he begin with this one? Well, we don't know exactly, obviously. He doesn't say where he begins. But but there's some logic here. We kind of think it through with him. This sense of lying and this sense of, of speaking the truth. First of all, we realize that God is truth. Thus, lies are antithetical to God himself, you see. Remember what the author of Hebrews says, it's impossible for God to lie. Remember what Jesus said about himself, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You remember the Holy Spirit is referred to, at least on one occasion in the scripture, as the spirit of truth. And so God is truth. And so lie, deception, is antithetical to who God is. If he's creator, then, then lying and truth-telling are very important elements in all of this. In fact, we could say that... As we mentioned last week, the apostle talks about uh, our old self and our new self. Remember that language? Uh, I read it from um, verse 22 in chapter 4. Put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, crucified after, I'm sorry, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, you can say this. Our old self was actually made, if you will, formed in the context of deception, of lies. Because that old self that's corrupt was formed, if you will, in the Garden of Eden through the deception of the evil one and the accepting of that deception by Adam. 
It's when the old self, corrupt in its nature, was formed. Before that, the nature wasn't corrupt, human nature, but, but after it was corrupt, and so it was formed by this deception. Now, you remember the deception. You remember the lies. First, Satan comes to, to, to Eve, and um, which was a deception in itself. This, parenthetically, a deception in itself. Uh, in this, because, you see, Adam was the head of the garden. Adam was the one to whom God had spoken about not eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so the deception comes in part. You can see the deceiving nature of this evil one as he doesn't go to Adam, but he goes to Eve, you see. And so he comes to Eve and he says, first of all, putting doubt in your mind, did God say? And, and then he begins and he gives really a couple of, of very key deceptions, deceptions that human beings uh, continue to live in apart from a work of God to get us out of these things. But, but the, the deceptions that we continue to live in is, is uh, did God really say you'll, you'll die? Now, obviously, it's hard for us to deny that we're going to die because it happens all the time to people, these once, I suppose, once. But, but so, so we know there's this physical death thing going on. But, but when this death is talked about in Genesis, uh, it means a separation from the life that's in God. And so there's physical death and there's spiritual death. And even though, uh, so, so, so that begins this thing, am I, am I really going to die? If I eat of this, if eat of this tree, will, will life really be taken, be taken from me? Uh, you see, um, and then there's this sense of spiritual death. Will I be separated from God, really? And then this other lie that you can be like God, knowing good and evil, if you eat of this tree. And that's a lie too, because we can't be like God in that sense, because God's the only one who really knows good because he is good. And thus, he's the only one who can know what not good is, what evil is. You see, that originates in him, not in us. If we say something is good and we happen to be right about that, it's only because, it's only because of the image of God in us that we know that that is good, you see. We didn't, we're not the source of that wisdom. And the same is true of evil, you see. And so these lies, and, and Adam bought into both of them. And then when he did, his whole nature was corrupt. He was bought into this idea that he wouldn't surely die. Now, again, we say we certainly die, but, but look at human beings now, especially in the culture in which we live now. It's come to a great height that the people rarely think about death. Or they think about living. How can I keep living? And what can I do to keep living? But, but, but thinking about death isn't really a very popular thing to do. If you don't believe me, next time you're on an airplane, talk to the person beside you about death, right? It's, it's going to be a short one. Short conversation with the kind I like on airplanes. So I might even lead with that next time just to be able to get some, some uh, time not to talk. But um, uh, people don't. People live in this whole sense of denying about death. And, and even when death happens, we don't really believe that there's an eternal death, that there's an eternal separation from the life of God, that this eternal separation from the life of God means that we live in a context where everything is miserable and everything is painful and everything is evil, where God's good presence, God's gracious presence isn't there. People deny that. Why? What? 
I haven't done this uh, scientifically, but anecdotally, it seems to me that the most common expression that takes place at a funeral of an unbeliever is, well, now he or she is in a better place. Almost everybody believes that. Why? Because we bought into the lie that we will not surely die. And we bought into the lie that there are no consequences. Bought into the lie that there is no wrath of God. Bought into the lie. Right? And the same is true. That we can determine what is good and evil. And so we believe that we're the center of the universe. We're the measure of all things. Human beings determine what is good and, and what is evil. That we can be like God. That everything then revolves around us, if you will. And so, in buying into those lies, we think we're self-sufficient. We think we're self-reliant. We think we can do this. And so, that's the very nature of our, of our lives. But the truth of the matter is, you see, that's a deception. And our old self was formed, and it was thus corrupted. Our hearts were hardened towards God. Therefore, as he says, Paul does in Ephesians 4, in those early verses, 17, 18, 19, that our hearts are hardened. We live in this ignorance then. It's a willful ignorance. I don't want to know. I want to live my own way. Which results in a darkness in our understanding and a life that's lived out of the futility of our minds. Right? And then he says we become callous because of that. That is to say that we become um, insensitive to good, insensitive to the good things of God, insensitive to what is good according to God. Uh, the prophet would put it like this, Jeremiah, that we no longer know how to blush. That, that we think what we're doing is good, and yet it gets more and more evil, and, and we're not even ashamed. We, we can't even blush. We're so calloused about, about that. And even those who desire um, to be religious, if you will, Jesus speaks to and in Matthew, in chapter 15, in verse 6, and verse 8, quoting the prophet Isaiah, he says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That's deception. You see, it exists. I want to show you that I'm religious. I want to show you, but, but, but really, uh, I'm being deceptive. I'm living this out. And in the same way, then, if you get that, in the same way, we can say that our new self was formed, was made by truth, Right? was made by truth. We're being created, it says here, after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, when grace comes to us, when grace comes with us, when the work of God comes to us, what begins to happen? We, we start, we stop telling ourselves lies about ourselves. We stop believing the lies about ourselves. We stop believing that we're the measure of all things. We stop believing that, that, that we're the center of the universe. We, we stop believing that, that it all depends upon us. We stop believing that we're self-reliant and self-dependent, that we can really do this. We, we stop believing that we're good enough. We stop believing all of that, if you will. And we start believing the truth. The truth that we've fallen short of the glory of God. The, short that we, the, the belief that we, we can't do it, you see. We start to believe that. I can't do it. I need help. I need God. I need him to work in my life. We stop t- telling ourselves lies about God. We stop telling ourselves that he isn't. Or we stop telling ourselves that he is 
but he doesn't have any involvement in the world which he made. Or that, that, that he is. But, but if we trust him, then our lives will be miserable and we'll lose all the enjoyment out of life. Or, or to trust that he is, but, 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 but he just simply loves everyone. So it doesn't really matter how we live or what we do because all will be saved in the end. We, we stop believing those lies about God and start believing the truth about him, that he's God. Right? That he made all that is. And everything is his. And he's the one who gets to tell me what is good and what is evil. He's the one who gets to tell me what my life is and what my life should be, you see. And, and if I follow after him, then my, my life won't be miserable at all. But it'll be filled with joy and filled with great satisfaction in trusting and in, in, knowing, in knowing him. He speaks to me the truth of Jesus. And he says here, I want you to know that I'm holy and that there is wrath against sin. But I also want you to know that I love. And I want you to know that I love and therefore I've poured my wrath upon my son. And he's taken the penalty for the sin of sinners. So trust me. Trust me. Turn away from your lies about yourself that you're able. Turn, up, turn away from the lies about me and trust me. He says, do they? So, so see, this new self was formed by truth now. And so it would be inconsistent with how we were made, how we were formed, if we now continue to live as deceivers, continue to live uh, as those who lie. Um, this new self is antithetical to deception. It's consistent only, we realize, with truth. And in truth, you see. And we know that because our old self, as we remember from Romans chapter 6, last Sunday, if you were here, our old self was crucified with Christ and died and then was raised. That's why Paul could say in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ, but nevertheless I live. Not I, but Christ who lives in me. And therefore I live by faith in the Son of God. And the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's that sense of it. Or it's that same sense of, of, of what we have here in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. That we're to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This new self is being created in the image of God. We're being restored in the image of God. To live now as Adam should have lived. As Christ did live in righteousness and holiness. And you see, this is wonderful hope for us. It's wonderful hope for us because, you see, when, when we stop believing the lies, we, we realize that there's hope for all of us because none of us can. You know how Jesus lays it out in the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Some people actually read that by thinking, well, Jesus came to help those who can't. To help those who don't have a good upbringing, to help those who didn't grow up with good moral values, to help those who are out of this sort of moral life. Uh, and so those are the poor in spirit. And so I don't need that kind of help, of course, because I grew up in a good family, because I know what's right and wrong, because look at my life, I'm, I'm living just fine. So I don't need that. But, but Jesus in his kindness came for those who are poor in spirit. And we go, no, 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 you've missed the whole point. We're all poor in spirit. None of us can. And the good news is, by the grace of God, he enables us to. That's the very point of this letter. 
The point of this letter is that we've been saved by grace through faith, not of our own works, so that none of us can boast. But we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. Remember, it doesn't end there. To do good works that he prepared in advance for us to do. So our old self dies, that our new self may live, so that we're able then, by his spirit, to do that which is good. And, and there's even, I could put it like this, a necessary link between the work of God to transform our hearts, to raise us with Christ, so that our identity now is this new self, and for us to get on with that and to do works consistent with that new self. There mustn't be a break between them. Now, sometimes we make a break between them as Protestants, and it's a good break, when we talk logically about our salvation. We, 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 we separate what we call justification and sanctification, right? Justification is that declaration of God that says we're righteous in his sight only because of Christ, because of his death to bring forgiveness, because of his life to bring righteousness to us. And so how are you righteous? How are you made righteous? How are you saved, really? Or we could say, how are you justified? Only by a work of God. But then there's this thing called sanctification, which is God's work in us to conform us to the image of Christ. What does that mean? That means we get on with it, with him. That means we obey. That means we do stuff, the stuff that he wants us to do. Now, we don't do it on our own wisdom or on our own strength. He's at work in us by his spirit. But, but, but this, we're not, here is the work of God and we're justified. He declares us righteous, not because of anything about us. But in sanctification, he's conforming us to the image of Christ. He's growing us up. He's maturing us. He's causing us to walk in holiness and righteousness, you see. And that's what Paul does in Ephesians. He says, we're justified so that. We're justified, sanctified. These two things go together. So in one sense, if you ever run into somebody and, you see, and they say, are you, a, are you a Christian? And they say, well, I'm really trying hard to be. And you go, I, I don't think you're getting it. Right? I don't think you're getting it. Because the being part is God's declaration. But if you say, are you a Christian who's walking with the Lord? Are you a Christian who's, who's growing in the faith? And the person says, yes, I'm striving to obey. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you're a Christian, you know that. You're saved. You're declared righteous by the Lord. But, but now, you see, you're making every effort. As he puts it earlier in chapter 4. Now, you're saying, I'm desiring to walk worthy of the calling to which I've been called. Yes. That's it, you see. That isn't passive at all. That, that takes effort. It takes everything we have as God gives us grace to have it. And so we, we mustn't separate these two. And that's what Paul is saying to us here. The new self is consistent with truth. Now, quickly, the new self also then is, is, is connected to others in, in unity. And so Paul's point is, in order for us to really experience the unity that we have because of the Holy Spirit, then we also must be holy. 
All of these, these, these things we're, we're not to do and to do, beginning with verse 25, impact and influence the experience of our unity. For instance, if we tell lies and we don't speak the truth, we won't trust each other. Well, there's no way we'll be ever to be together. You know this in the course of any relationship. If there's lying and not truth-telling, you know it destroys trust. It destroys intimacy. It destroys unity. We see it in families. We see it in marriages. We see it in friendships. We see it in churches. We see it in every sphere of life. When people lie, there's no trust. And when there's no trust, there's no unity. But no, God says, I'm restoring. I'm restoring. I'm restoring, reconciling people to myself and to each other. I'm restoring all that was lost. I'm, I'm creating in the church a picture of what is to come. We, we sang about that earlier in a wonderful expression. In the church's one foundation. Now, mid toil and tribulation and tumult of her war, she waits her consummation of peace forevermore. Till with the vision glorious, her longing eyes are blessed. And the great church victorious shall be the church at rest. You see, the church now is this church that's reflecting what is to come, reflecting the age to come. We're God's people. And he says, a day will come when it will come in its fullness. But the best picture we have of what's to come on the earth now is the church. People have been reconciled to God and reconciled to each other. And they're to live in this unity. So if we're going to do that, we're going to be that kind of community, we, have, we can't lie. We can't lie to each other. We can't deceive. We have to speak the truth in love, you see. And, and that will create unity. If we lie, we'll dissolve. We won't reflect that which is true about God. But if we tell the truth, then we'll reflect his kingdom. Same thing, be angry and don't sin. If we foster our anger, it will, will, won't be holy. To be holy is not to foster this anger. Be angry and don't sin. Uh, and so if we don't foster it, if we deal with it in a right way, then it also creates and sustains unity. Let the thief no longer steal. If we steal from each other, it'll create disunity. Uh, so we don't. We work. And what do we do? We give to each other. That is consistent and creates unity. We don't let corrupting talk come out of our mouths. Why? Because that will de- destroy unity. Uh, and so what do we do? We, we give grace through what we say. And that builds us up together. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit, he says. And so... If we are bitter towards each other, wrathful towards each other, anger, uh, uh, slanderous, uh, then it will destroy the unity that God is making among us. And so he says, put that all away. Rather be kind and tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And be imitators of God, therefore, and walk in love. See, holiness is consistent with unity. Holiness is necessary for unity. These things aren't separate. They're together. So we say, I'm not going to let my lying hurt the body of Christ, so I'm going to tell the truth. I'm not going to let my anger uh, cause division in the body of Christ, therefore I'm not going to foster it. I'm not going to let my stealing uh, destroy the unity that we have in the church, therefore I'm going to work and give. I'm not going to use my talk to create dissension 
in the body of Christ. Rather, I'm going to speak in such a way that gives grace so that we grow in unity. I'm not going to let my bitterness towards other or my anger or my wrath or my slander. I'm not, I'm not, going, to, I'm not going to do that because a, it's unholy. And B, it disturbs and destroys the unity that we have. Rather, I'm going to be tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God has forgiven me. I'm going to actually love, you see. So what's the deal? The deal is we're being renewed in our minds. And what we come to realize is that I really do need to put off deception and lying. Because that's, first of all, inconsistent with who I am in Christ. And also, it's inconsistent with God is what God is doing in the context of the life of his people joining us together. So if I live among you and you live among us and we're deceivers, it will destroy what God is making. And people will miss seeing the closest thing to what's to come that exists on the face of the earth that people will miss seeing the glory of God as he's revealing himself now. But if we do it, if we put away lying and we live in the truth with each other, then see what it is. See what's happening. Not only are we growing individually in holiness, but, but we're growing in such a way together that people are seeing the glory of God. That, that again, we, by way of loving each other, one of the ways we love each other is to speak the truth, not deceive. And people will see the glory of God. Hmm. Let's pray. Father, I pray for us that we would be a people of the truth. Um, that we would speak the truth in love. Certainly the truth of the gospel. And then the truth of, and then every truth that flows and follows out of that. We'd be honest with each other, that we'd be honest with ourselves, that we'd be honest with you, God. So help us, I pray. May we be a people, as a church, that reflects your glory. And this I pray, in Jesus' name.